Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here again in my backyard. It's becoming sort of the norm, at least for the summer months. If there is a lot of background noise, I apologize. The central air uh, unit is about 20 years old and is loudly running, and I'm not going to turn it off because I'm fat and I'm going to have to go in that house and sleep after we record. My neighbor is apparently vacuuming his front or backyard. Um, I'm not sure which one, so I apologize for that. Hopefully that does not show up too loudly, too. But we are again. uh, If you haven't picked up yet, Mike and I have been recording a lot of episodes and sessions back-to-back late at night as we can in the summer. Um, Peter is, I don't think he would mind us sharing. My neighbor is, that must be just a huge vacuum, like a truck of a vacuum, but hopefully we're louder than it. But uh, Peter is building a new room in his house. I think it's okay for us to share that. Mike, what are the odds you could build a new room in your house? Zero. Yeah. If we could use like sheets and make a fort like when we were kids, I think I could do that. But uh, he has understandably been a little bit busy with that. And we then thought I think about maybe he just quit o- the podcast and we're like <laughs> the girlfriend that maybe he, you know, that, that someone breaks up with in high school because they just stopped talking to them. I'm not sure what's going on there. So. <laughs> ben will be back too. Um, Wade and I did contemplate for about five seconds. Wade just and go, me. Wade and me. Wade and I con contemplated for <laughs> contemplated for about five seconds that we would go over and help Peter so he could be done and join us, but I'm pretty sure we would just get in the way. Seems like you'd get really dirty with the stuff he's doing too. Yeah. And um, So we are in the backyard recording a wing in it. It is now uh, getting close to eight Milwaukee time, and uh, we'll see how long we go with the episode, but I feel like we are uh, we're in good shape right now. I I had some stuff today. Anybody to beat? Mike, you all right? No, we're good. So we'll see how we go. We do have a guest uh, for the episode we're recording after this and also for the winging it, so he'll jump in as he wants to. But we have uh, perhaps now surpassing Dr. Mark Brown. I'm hoping. Um, Pastor Brian Dobler, a familiar voice. Brian, you want to say hi? Hi. How many episodes does this count for, too? A winging it session, I think we count as an episode. Um, but... Uh, this, you're getting up there now with this. Uh, Pastor Dobler is a theology uh, teacher at Wisconsin Lutheran High School. Do you have my daughter this year? I just looked today, and I did not see her name on my roster. Okay, so she's had some no. scheduling and email issues, so we'll have to see what's happening with that. <clears throat> but we're going to be talking about, I'm excited to talk about today, we are in the Turning Points book by Mark Knoll. Uh, it is, as you might have noticed by now, largely just a springboard for us. But the turning point we have today is the... Diet of Worms, um, and Luther's, uh, we might say, brave stand before the emperor, but maybe we'll talk a little bit about maybe it wasn't at first as brave as we as we all tend to think. I'll mention briefly, and we'll mention when we do the episode, we are now a part of the 1517 Podcasting Network, a number of podcasts you can check out. If you don't like one, you can check out the other. Just make sure you keep coming back to us, but we're happy to be part of that network. We will be recording in October out in San Diego. Um, Mike and I are flying together. Peter was supposed to buy tickets. He hasn't really told us if he's done that, has he, Mike? Um, he may not be finished with his basement. Yeah, so, um, but my hope is uh, I got early bird seating so that no matter who else is on the plane, Mike and I can sit next to each other. I don't have early bird seating. Right, but I do, so. so okay. You wouldn't pass me by and not take the middle seat next to me to, no, but, to have a road But I yourself. bet you everybody else does. <laughs> that is the hope. That is the hope. 
Um, so, Mike, why don't you, I don't know if you want to do any background or how we got here, anything on the series in general, but I will uh, hand it off. Sure. So our last episode was the great... Our last session. Session was the la- was uh, the great schism or schism, however you want to pronounce it. Um, and so we're jumping ahead all the way um, to the Diet of Worms. So we're uh, half a millennia later, basically, about... Um, and that is one thing with Noel's book. It definitely is a cursory survey. There are some big leaps. And so we're into uh, now to the Western Christianity. We, we Before, we were kind of back and forth between the West and the East, whether it be because of Nicaea, Chalcedon, the rise of the papacy, um, uh, monasticism, both, both in the East and the West, and then, of course, the Great Schism. And now we're really tending towards the West right now. And, of course, the biggest thing in the Western church is going to be the Reformation and uh, Western society too, alongside with the Renaissance, which kind of go hand in hand in a lot of different ways, the rise of humanism and all of those historical things that you learned in Western civilization or whatever that course is now called um, in our high schools. I believe it's called contemporary dance now. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Uh, contemporary dance through the ages. Yeah. I don't even know that they, <laughs> they I don't even think the ages are on the radar <laughs> anymore. So... <clears throat> Uh, maybe one thing that uh, we should maybe mention um, for those maybe who are more, um, let's just say, lay historians, uh, we kind of have this idea that Luther was really kind of primitive, and then he finally got to this point at the Diet of Worms where now he's going to take his stand and everything and he becomes changes. a modern, yeah. But really his theology is pretty much developed. I think probably... He was forced to articulate that at the um, in Heidelberg with his Heidelberg disputation. Uh, that that you, you see everything there already, right? And so you see the, you, almost everything. Yeah, yeah, I mean for for the the major things, you know, uh, justification. You're going to see law and gospel. You're going to see um, his teachings on the will. It's it the major stuff's already there. And so I kind of see the Diet of Worms, and and it was this way is much more of a political type thing, right? Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Wade, Heidelberg, uh, that that meeting was of just the Augustinian order, right? There was a debate. Yes, yeah, Staupitz yeah, wanted yeah. Luther to present his teaching there. And so definitely more ecclesiastical. Not even a debate. I mean, Luther's just presenting it. Yeah. yeah. And then in Diet of Worms is when he is called before the emperor, right? Charles V. And so this is, this is much more, uh, let's just say practical. This is much more... Um, uh, where things reach ahead where, okay, now I'm, now I may really be in trouble. Right. And, uh, when I kind of would go through in catechism class, the, 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 the history of Luther, as you say, okay, here, he's, he's the guy that wrote the catechism and here, here's why we're called Lutheran. Um, you know, we trained them to make, make these answers like, you know, what happened to the diet worms? And he, this is where they laid out all his books and, and they said to recant and he said, no, here I stand. I can do no other. But I trained them also to say, um, when he was called to, to, uh, take everything back to say, um, can I have a day to think about it? <laughs> and then he comes back and then he has this Hollywood moment where he does that. And so it's not like Luther was rash here. Um, but, but, but he was pretty thoughtful here and, um, you know, some other myths, maybe we, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, uh, uh, about him being kidnapped away that, yeah, that's true, but it wasn't right away. Right. Uh, there's a lot more going on here. Uh, what I always found interesting though, is that he came to Worms as a hero, 
right? I mean, he comes in and uh, everybody is is all about him. And uh, he's kind of almost a hero on the streets, a right? Popular support among the, pe- the A lot of people, popular yeah. support. And I can't remember. There's some great line from one of the one of the Catholic leaders there. I can't remember exactly what it was. But uh, just this indication that those who were calling this diet, they knew where the winds were blowing at this time. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, probably a little bit hesitant to... Um, uh, capture him right away, even though at, in, in some way they probably could have legally. I don't know all the all the details there. You would know better than I. But um, it, it's much better than me. Better. <laughs> it's much. It, it's a much more complicated story than than kind of. Um, uh, probably we've been led to believe that the shorthand hand version. So um, I'll kick it to you, Wade, and maybe ask you what what politically what was leading up to. The, uh, <laughs> To this, this we're in 1921, correct? Not 1921. We'd 1521. Be just after World War One. <laughs> 1521. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and maybe just a little bit of um, a glimpse into what Mike and I are planning for another Wing It series. Um, we are talking about a, a Wing It series on Luther's life and, and Luther biographies, and so I don't want to get lost in the weeds of that because that may be what comes after this or after whatever comes after this. <clears throat> but um, if we can lay the groundwork somewhat. Probably the least Lutheran thing that Luther had written from 1517 on was the 95 Theses, which just aren't very good if you read them. But in 1517 uh, already, he had written the Disputation Against Scholastic Theology, which is very good if you get a chance to read it. And in 1518, he had written the Heidelberg Disputation. Um, I think in April, he presents it to the Augustinian Order. And in my mind, one of his best writings as far as being brief, which wasn't always Luther's gift— but also clear. And it also does a great job of just smoking out um, Lutherans who are uncomfortable with the gospel. Uh, you'll sometimes find people who are very off-put by the Heidelberg Disputation and by anyone who um, quotes it or upholds it. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, as Mike said, much of the mo- many of the most important points of Luther's theology are already in play there. And Bondage of the Will and the Galatians commentary, as well as the catechisms later, are, are some of his writings he'll speak most positively about. And uh, the themes in the Heidelberg Disputation are expounded in Bondage of the Will, um, which the confessions also do cite very positively. And, and just to that point, he and he's not wishy-washy on it. And I don't mean wishy-washy is not the right term. It's not like he's you can tell, well, he's thinking this through. I mean, he's put these into theses very concise and uh, as we know sometimes uh, many times it's harder to put something concisely than it is to just ramble on over, all over the place when somebody's rambling if you've on listened to this podcast, yes, then you that. know like they probably don't know what they're talking about at this point because they're rambling on a lot so so i, I or it's late at night and yeah. uh, the, luther has has thought about this and he he has a very fully developed theology at this point already. And he's had the three great treatises of 1520 on the freedom of the Christian, um, on the Babylonian captivity of the church, and uh, to the nobility, the German nobility. And, uh, yeah, so he's crystallizing his thought. This is by no means when he's still on the fence about things. There's also, though, a lot politically that has gone into things. And, and the Holy Roman Empire was its own thing, and people sometimes joke it was neither holy nor Roman nor, nor an empire. But all three of those words were very meaningful for what um, it conceived itself to be. It conceived itself to be holy, and especially the Habsburgs took that role. <coughs> <coughs> excuse me. 
seriously because they, they saw themselves as being protectors of the Roman Catholic Church, and this went all the way back to Charlemagne being crowned, right? Which we've talked about before. Um, and uh, in the Roman aspect, this was a continuation in their mind of the Roman Empire. It had been conferred upon them by uh, the Roman Pope. This also takes us back to Charlemagne in 1800. And then the idea that it was an empire was, if you do look at a map, it covered it, a large amount of territory um, in Europe, uh, you know, something that uh, even Hitler, I don't know, ever aspired to achieving um, with his grand designs. Well, but I this, think he did with the Third Reich, right? So the First Reich. I don't know that be, he had more territory than the Holy Roman Empire encompassed, though, but under direct control. He, he, not as I mean, if you're counting Vichy France as the Third Reich, well, it depends. Do, I, my point was that he certainly, he certainly. You want to defend Hitler's him, achievements? Yeah, I do. What, he certainly saw himself as a continuation of this. Mm-hmm. Because the Third Reich would be this. The oh, Holy right. Roman I just Empire mean he didn't have as much Reich. territory, but no, he wants the Third Reich to be yeah. the Roman Reich as an earlier Reich. Yeah. Right, and the Second Reich would be Bismarck. Yeah. Um. I uh, now you. I I used to know this. I want to say it would have been uh, um, what's his name? The uh, when Kant and uh, Heyman are debating uh, absolute monarch. Um. All right, anyways, let me... <laughs> we'll look that yeah, up. Yeah, okay. So, I'm sorry, you know, Hitler accomplished I'm a sorry. lot, Mike. I'm it, sorry, uh, I, I shouldn't have interrupted. But, um, but anyways, this was a very loose confederation, looser than the, the United States of America, even at their beginning, when you had um, probably more emphasis on states' rights than federalism. And so, the emperor could go to war, but if he wanted troops and tax money, he had to go through the princes or the, the regional, the local rulers. Um, and being elected the Holy Roman Emperor wasn't a given. And so you had seven electors. Some of these were bishop princes or bishops. Some of these were just secular princes. And you had had a, um, the position had become available not long before the Diet of Worms. And, uh, Charles V wants to be Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, the Pope does not want this at first. The um, French obviously do not want this, even though they're not part of it. They oppose the Habsburgs just on principle, which is why they're always okay with Protestants in Germany, but not in France. And the Habsburgs need uh, the elector of um, Saxony support, which would be Frederick the Wise, who was the elector, meaning he could elect the emperor with with six others, but also the prince of Luther's territory. And uh, Frederick eventually had supported Charles V, and because of that support, was owed some favors, right? And so Frederick the Wise is going to be able to protect Luther for longer than he probably otherwise would have been. And he's also able to play the emperor against the pope and things like that. Um, but what comes to a head is that uh, Frederick wants a hearing for Luther in Germany. And there's good reason for this. Um, not too long previous to this, there had been a Bohemian, I think Czech Republic now, reformer Jan Hus, who had um, written especially about receiving both kinds in the Lord's Supper. Um, the Wells Hymnal, Christian Worship, has a Hus hymn in the Lord's Supper section, um, but also um, he thought priests should be able to marry. And this, interestingly enough, will become the two things that eventually the Roman Catholic Church will be able to concede to Protestants when there's negotiations. Um, but Huss had had a, um, a, a imperial free conduct, meaning he could go to the Council of Constance and 
be guaranteed imperial safety there and back. He gets there, and it's decreed, well, no one has to keep their promise to a heretic, and he's burned. And so Frederick the Wise realizes, I don't want my most popular professor, the most prodigious author in Europe right now, um, going off and getting burned necessarily without me having some say or control. And it just set up this university in Wittenberg, and he's popular, and I don't, I don't, that, that, it hurts him. It hurts him financially and right. hurts him, yeah, politically. And, and there was competition with what was called Ducal Saxony. So you had Ernestine and Albertine Saxony. Um, Saxony had been divided between two sons, two branches of the family at one point. And um, Ducal Saxony had the University of Leipzig. It had a somewhat prominent university. And so uh, Frederick wants a prominent university, which is the U- University of Wittenberg. Um, Staupitz is one of the early people involved in that. Staupitz is Luther's father confessor. He has Luther called there to teach biblical theology. And Frederick the Wise is invested in this then in a lot of ways. Um, and there's this intercousin, you know, just dynamic in play, too. And, and the Luther-Duke-George uh, dynamic is always great, too, because... Duke George is the rival of Frederick the Wise, and Duke George is also the rival of Luther, so he's having Luther's books burned, whatever else, and Luther preaches things like, even if heaven should rain jackasses, I mean, Duke George is, you know, God is still in control, and and Duke George will write to the elector and say, Luther called me a jackass, whatever else, and like roundabout, the elector will send a response like, well, maybe you shouldn't be one, you know, <clears throat> but there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff in play, and, um, and so this hearing being in Germany is big. Um, this hearing being before not just uh, spiritual authorities, not just before ecclesiastical authorities, the church, um, but actually before the secular authorities um, is also big because this will be a big part of um, the appeal Luther makes in 1520 that if the ecclesiastical authorities won't reform themselves, then the princes have some obligation. Um, But this also gets at the tensions that we talked about in the medieval church of the medieval synthesis of this kind of unity of church and state. Um, and Luther definitely comes as the popular hero. Now, to be fair, some of this popular support he gets also leads to the Peasants' War eventually. Um, not everyone lauding Luther necessarily understands everything he's teaching, but they do see him as an opponent of the oppressors across the mountains, right? Um, those who are taxing them across the mountains and they're not getting much in return. Um, for the little man, uh, Luther himself has a peasant background, although a, you know we might call it middle-class peasant background. Uh, but Mike, maybe that got quickly at what you were, I mean, I'm talking quickly. I wasn't quick about it, but anything you have there or Pastor Dobler. Here I stand. <laughs> You're uh, sitting. Actually. I actually am sitting. Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head, the, the knights who, uh, some of the more famous knights who were very much wanting Luther on his side and, uh, definitely more of a. You know, I, I wouldn't say populist kind of movement, but I I, I saw them more like as nationalist and, yeah, and like uh, a, humanist, yeah. si- similar to uh, American revolutionaries kind of thing, maybe, and definitely saw uh, Luther uh, as a possible ally and and would be uh, a great tool in their fight too. And of course, they're going to go different ways at sometimes. Um, but so, um, th- this diet of Worms is not like it's like a two day meeting either. It's this is a long, long thing. In, There's in diet, other, Mike. If I mean, if you want to explain what that is, yeah, sure. Just a meeting of yep. you know, it's French a, word. You have to. D, you can't. D you got to explain another catechism thing. You have to explain um, that uh, you know this is not a diet of, of worms, but it's a meeting at a town Imagine called Worms. Imagine a congress Firms. that moves around the United States of America. This is the meeting of. 
um, kind of the imperial uh, political leaders. And uh, Vorms makes sense because it's on a river. It's a free imperial city, meaning it's under imperial control. It's not under a, a local prince. Um, and so th- the way that makes the most sense to me would be like kind of like a moving Congress. And so there's other business going on there. It's not like this was just just tailor-made for this uh, Luther Charles V showdown. And so he do, he finally It is, wasn't even the biggest thing on the agenda probably sure. for many, to be honest. You know, and so, uh, we Lutherans have to understand that, too. Like if you go to, for instance, the Vorburg Castle, you know, the other stuff happened there, right? It's not you like... You take the tour and you're like, when's the Luther <laughs> stuff? When's Luther and stuff? And if you go to Augsburg... It is very difficult to yeah. find the Luther. Now, it's easier now since the Reformation year, but yeah. you kind of had to hop a fence right. and, and there, trespass. And to there's get like the a little before. sign, and that's just about it. Yeah. Even though there was quite a few important meetings there in Augsburg, but you're talking about a city that has been there. Uh, it was set up by the Romans, yep. Augsburg, and so it's got a lot, a lot yeah, of history. Yeah, I mean, there's just big Reformation city names, but their their history is a lot longer than we think. Yeah, and hard for us Americans always to understand. It's like in Philadelphia, you know, you, you think Philadelphia, War of Independence, you go there, Rocky's the big thing, you know. It, the other things happen, but our independence, you know, like the Rocky movies. And they threw batteries at Santa Claus. Yeah. Broad Street Fly, or uh, what was the Broad Street Bullies? The Flyers yeah. there. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot going on, and it's not like, in fact, Luther's back at home when this is going on, and they finally call him, and they're like, okay, we're going to, you know, in a, however long it took to get across Germany, you, you are up, you know, on the agenda kind of thing, you know, in whatever day. And so he gets there, and I believe that he had actually had to wait a, a little bit too, and then they finally get, get him into the room and um he's expecting something a little bit more he's expecting a discussion a discussion that's not going to happen and um basically to cut to the chase he's got to recant his his books and And recant is simply to say uh to deny them as being true it's not just to say i wish i wouldn't have written them it's to say um other christians shouldn't read these these are false they are not a proper representation of what the church should be teaching. And I can't remember how he divided them up, but he divided them up like in three things. One was, you know, something that I can't recant some to. Some deal with doctrine, some, some deal with persons. Yeah. Some things that, you know, okay, okay, maybe I went too far on these things or whatever. But I wrote too harshly yeah, about you this know, guy. I, I, was, I shouldn't have called him a jackass kind of thing. Um, he, does, he does ask for more time, and then he comes back, and then he appeals, which is very interesting. It's something we we don't maybe talk enough about with Luther is that he appeals to his conscience. You know, I can't go beyond this. Um, rightfully so. He says, I, I can't go against the word of God. And if you can prove it wrong, okay, fine. I'll be the first to say, I'm sorry. But he also says, I can't go against his conscience. And that, and that, that's, it was a much more powerful concept than it is for us today. I think, you know, um, if, if in doubt, follow your conscience. And, and that goes back to, this idea that the goal is a clear conscience before God. And this is, just briefly, this will be very important in Lutheran theology, that the goal is a clear conscience. Uh, Peter will talk about baptism as the appeal of a good conscience to God. Um, but this is abused later where, um, you know, kind of the Enlightenment, existentialism in the West will turn this into, well, my individual conscience mm-hmm. is sacrosanct. 
Luther is talking about a rightly formed conscience, a conscience formed by the scriptures and sound reason. Yeah, and and, and it's and, not just what he feels. Imagine him imagining himself before God, and you know the thing about the the modern way of looking about a conscience is is you still can't get away from it. I mean, people are still appealing to it in, in a roundabout way by saying, um, "I'm being true to myself," or. Um, well, what's the Shakespeare you know, to thine own self be true or whatever? Yeah, and so you you which ha- is garbage. This is why I, I don't like <laughs> Shakespeare. I'm, I apologize to Amy Hermanson, but you 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 can't get away from it's. It's just Saint Paul again. You can't get away from your conscience. It's built in into you, and uh, you can numb it. You can numb it, and I think people are trying to explain it away. But by the very fact that they're trying to explain it away proves its existence to them and its power over people. And so you say, and, and it's such a teenage, I want to say boys philosophy, but I have two teenage daughters now. So I call it a teenage philosophy that says, well, it's true to me, or it's, it's about my, you know, I think it's right or wrong. You um, never encounter that in high school, do you? Not at Wisco. Everybody's <laughs> all, what, what does God's word say is the only uh, question. That that's right. Up. That's right. Um, so something that we probably need to, be a little bit more. What is that Katy Perry, Katy Perry song? I had to work a Katy Perry concert for uh, the baseball organization. And what is it? You're a firework. Something. I mean, the whole song is sing it, sing, Keep saying it. I can't Pretty remember. Soon I'll get it. Um, I do know that was the concert I've been at that had the most parents who allowed their uh, children to dress completely inappropriately for their age of any I've ever been to and also had the most drunk 40-year-olds dressed completely inappropriate for their age, too. Um, so, uh, but I mean, the point is, like, every other song was like, you're special, be true to yourself. All this was, like, great advice the serpent would give to Eve <laughs> before the fall, you know, or... Yeah, and then I think the point is that the conscience pops up right away in the beginning of Genesis, of course. But what does conscience mean, right, if we're remembering the Latin... With knowledge, a conscience by nature needs to be informed if it's going to be a good conscience. Conscientia is where we get science from. Uh, science now isn't what we mean by science in the sense of the Latin language, because science now is oftentimes theory, although it also includes knowledge. But a conscience is by nature with knowledge if it's a properly formed conscience. So it's it's not um, kind of this like blank slate, nebulous, I'm going to find myself. It's not a well-formed conscience if you're finding yourself. It's well-formed when it's informed by Scripture and sound reason. And so Luther is there at, at a pivotal moment, clearly, um, where he says, i got to go from by the Word of God. And my, my conscience is saying, even though maybe my better, my, my better wisdom practically is saying, you know, just who cares? You're, you're a nothing monk from Wittenberg. Just say you're sorry and move on. The thing blows over. Charles is on to the next problem, whatever. Um, you don't, you don't uh, find trouble for your elector, for your university. But his conscience says it can't do that because it's informed by the word of God. And so it's a powerful thing for him. Even though he was causing a lot of offense. He clearly was. He clearly was. Um, so he's gone um, out of the meeting. And um, he is... He stays in, I can't remember how long he stays in, in Verms, but it's not like he's out the door and they rush him, rush him away. But 
he's there for a while and then eventually he's heading home and that's where he is quote unquote kidnapped right um by elector frederick's uh, henchman um and it seems like he kind of knows what's going on but he doesn't really know what's going on well, he's at some frederick point the what again frederick the wise yeah and so he knows he's going to be asked uh well he knows a the safe conduct probably won't be observed um, and B, he knows he's going to be asked where Luther is when Luther gets back. And so he arranges for Luther to be captured and be taken to the uh, the Vortburg Castle in, uh, in Eisenach, which is a really cool city to visit. And, and as a Detroiter, I like it because they made uh, a lot of the East German cars uh, during uh, the time of the, uh, the wall being up, uh, the Soviet bloc. And uh, Luther didn't know about it or didn't know much at all. And uh, he is kidnapped. His the the man traveling with him uh, tries to pretend he's Luther. Luther owns up to it, and he's taken to this fortress so that Frederick the Wise can say, "Don't tell me where he is." And he can honestly say, "I don't know where he is," but he can also know that Luther is safe. Um, and uh, Luther's going to hate it there. He's going to be Junker Jorg. Uh, he's going to be uh, Knight George. He goes hunting. He feels bad for the rabbit. Uh, it reminds me of me uh, going out deer hunting with my father-in-law while I was dating. Uh, he wasn't my father-in-law yet, but um, and sitting in the tree stand and just kind of reading books. And um, I ended up dragging <laughs> out deers for other people. But if I shot a deer, I would have been like, what do I do now? Or why did I do that? You know, it's just not my thing. Um, and uh, he gets bored and there's no Wi-Fi. And uh, the elector didn't send his PlayStation in time. And so... He decides to start translating the New Testament into German. Uh, he calls it the, the land of the birds. If you ever go to Eisenach, go to the Vorburg. It has a ton of history that people don't realize. Um, but yeah, he leaves Worms, um, by all accounts, uh, an outlaw. He's going to eventually be condemned, which means someone could basically take his life and, and be absolved beforehand for, for doing so, since he, he is a heretic. Uh, and he'll never be able to leave Saxony for the rest of his life. Uh, which is why when the Augsburg Confession happens, he will end up at the Coburg, which is about as far as he can go, but not in Augsburg, um, because he is an outlaw. And I think this is something we forget about Luther. Outside of going to Worms or going to Rome, and then going to Worms and then going to uh, Heidelberg, he uh, largely lives within the confines of southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, he's a very um, well-connected man. He's reading things from uh, throughout places. But he's not near the sophisticated or cosmopolitan person that a John Kelvin or even an Ulrich Zwingli, a Martin Bootser, um, men like that will be. Um, I don't know. I can't decide if they're mowing the lawn behind us or chopping up a body. Well, it did rain today, and so they're probably trying to get there. But the second noise almost sounds like a wood chipper is going now. <laughs> Maybe we should Looking go- back, too, I'll just observe, Mike. I've expressed my concern about the, the tree in the backyard that's been growing in the bushes behind my shed. And I would say that's probably doubled in size since I first raised my concerns to you, huh? Yes, it is getting large. We need I, uh, to cut that down. I need to get the chainsaw out and just... Do you think you got to cut it down or can I just throw like the highest grade brush killer I can get? I don't think you can get, uh, you know, let's say over-the-counter stuff. Do you think gasoline would kill a tree if I just... <laughs> I've got match. old gas in the garage. I, I wouldn't go that far. And a match. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little close to quite a few buildings. Maybe we should broaden broaden ourselves. I got out distracted. Just, I don't even know what I was saying before. A little now, but, bit. but that tree is really—it's getting to the power lines. It'll be fine. So if you guys hear a chainsaw, <laughs> and, and you don't hear me talking <laughs> for a while. <laughs> no 
depicts the Diet of Worms, and I think rightfully so, as his Reformation turning point, right? And so things are going to change politically here. Things are going to change. And it is a stand before both kingdoms, which is important. Yeah, and so you have the medieval synthesis that we talked about before coming to kind of a head here. Like, what do you do now when you have um, somebody who is challenging both the papacy and then, and then the Catholic emperor, but also entangled with um, other secular rulers, rightfully or wrongly. Why do we say, Mike or Brian, why do we say come to a head? I've been thinking about that lately. I don't know. We should look that up. Speaking of looking things up. Like ahead of a road or what are we covering? It is. Ahead of a river, you think? Where everything starts. What are they running now? That must be the Harley. All right. The Second Reich, just by talking about looking things up, the Second Reich was Kaiser Wilhelm Wilhelm II. So you were right there. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. He doesn't go anywhere with this Harley either. He just rears it up. I had a buddy in, uh, well, not really a buddy in high school. He had moved from Oregon and we probably weren't the kindest to him, but. He got like a 20-year-old Camaro, but he lost his license within like two weeks of having it. So he would just spin his tires in the driveway and like shoot forward and then back up and just do that for hours. And uh, I sometimes wonder about that with this Harley, if it's just... Overcompensating for something. But he only like uses it in a very like narrow amount of space. It's not like he's just cruising around, although now it sounds like maybe he went somewhere, but... I have no segue for that to the Reformation, but we should wrap up maybe this wing. In well, Luther wanted the Reformation to go somewhere. He didn't want to be at Worms. But he didn't go very far. That's what you're talking about. He didn't go very far. Coburg, No, I was going to flip it the other way of, that Luther's better than my neighbor. Sorry, go ahead, though. No, I would just like to ask you a couple questions, Wade, uh, to close this out. Um, you know, why... Two, two questions. What is... Why is the Reformation such a huge turning point in uh, history, not just for Lutherans, but for everybody? But then secondly, why the Diet of Worms? Why, why not Heidelberg? Why not the 95 Theses? Why not the Augsburg Confession? Why, why do you think Noel picked um, um, uh, the Diet of Worms as that turning point? Sure, I think as far as the Reformation, um, the West just can't escape from it. You look at Islam, you look at uh, Eastern Europe and the areas influenced by Eastern Orthodoxy, um, you look even at, at China and Japan and the East, the Far East. Um, this is the end of like uh, hegemony, or um, you know, you're never going to have the same level of cultural cohesion that you will have in other places. Um, Europe is going to have to, Western Europe is going to have to learn how to live with um, people who do not share your religious beliefs, and then also. Um, the political differences that will grow out of that. It's also going to spur the growth of a national or state identity, um, especially as churches, Protestant churches, will be uh, connected with the church, and even Roman Catholic churches. um, Those states will in many ways see themselves as Roman Catholic states, defenders of Roman Catholicism. And so Western Europe as we know it, and America as we will come to know it, is very influenced by the Reformation in that way. Um, The dynamics between the secular and the spiritual Um, will very much play in. You're going to see eventually a shift in art. Um, Emphasis of the individual over the group is going to come out of this somewhat too. Um, The growth of the universities, especially Protestant universities, which uh, produce both good and bad. Um, You're going to have the Enlightenment, which is sparked in the West, um, partly because of the questions people feel free to, uh, or at least 
somewhat safe enough to ask because of the Reformation. The Reformation did not by any means spark uh, atheism or, um, you know, the, the secular Europe we know today intentionally um, or even unintentionally, and it developed in Catholic lands as well. Um, but the landscape of Europe is going to be changed in a way that is just undeniable, and that thus American history is going to be influenced in a way that is undeniable. And I would say even South America, Africa, all of these places will bear the marks of the Reformation for good and bad. It's liberal. Even language, the development of language, um, writing in your native tongue, um, taking pride in your native tongue. Uh, if you're a fan of Spanish, German, Italian, French poetry, these are all things that will flow out of, for instance, the Reformation's emphasis on hymnody in German. In German. Yeah, and it's liberal in the best classical sense, where you're allowed to ask the questions. Um, or it will become that eventually. Yeah, and and it, and that's where you could see some Catholic authors, uh, not not just even early on, but later, say, see all the stuff that we're putting up with this in this modern world, and try to trace it back to the Reformation, and and that's a false way of looking at it at, because if, if you clamp down too hard on um, free thought, um, there's going to be a revolution. It's going to be a different kind of revolution. It's going to be a revolution not of, uh, of thoughts, but it's going to be more of a revolution just of uh, probably an economic kind of thing. You know, we're just sick of these people uh, telling us what to do and controlling everything. So yeah, you, with the freedom of thought, you got to put up with some stuff, you know? I mean, we think we, deal with that in America all the time with free speech. Um, there's a, it's a lesser of two evils in some senses. Well, it's a reminder for us, too, I think for the church, but for any institution, when we reach the point where we can't make an argument and really be energetic and um, articulate about our position, but can only react against challenges, um, we've really lost our vitality, and that is the point at which things decline. And part of the reason for the success of the Reformation was it had a message, it was articulating something, especially something that resonated, but it had people who um, believed in uh, making their case, and that in the end oftentimes is going to win out over those who simply want to preserve the institution. And even with the Counter-Reformation, much of that will wait for the Jesuits, who will themselves then want to make a case. Um, And it's just a healthy reminder for... Um, the church, but for any institution as well. And then my second question to you, Wade, was uh, just just Worms in general. Why why do you think he chose Worms and not uh, some of the other great Reformation events? This is, I mean, this is a religious reformer for once standing before church and state, not being burnt, um, and uh, and not being uh, cowed into backing down, and enjoying the support of. Um, rather important political figures. Uh, Jan Hus could have been this, had Constant gone di- Constance gone differently. Um, but I think it's interestingly, it's interesting with the, re- the, anivers- the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, every Protestant wanted in on this, um, in Europe at least. No one said this is specifically just a Lutheran thing except the Lutherans. Um, but everyone kind of recognizes, even if they don't agree with everything Luther thought or they think the Lutheran Reformation didn't go far enough, that this was when reformational things really got the grounding to take place on a meaningful, uh, to a meaningful extent. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's just such a huge deal. And 
every there's quite a few things that we in America take for granted of uh, just the fact that we can have a podcast talking about these things. Um, that, that just doesn't happen without a reformation. That doesn't happen without humanism. That doesn't happen without um, somebody first kind of um, poking a stick in the eye of those who are being oppressive in a certain sense. We can overplay that. We can overplay that. But, um, your, your rebellion is not good just because it's a rebellion. And it's got to be thoughtful. And, and I think that's what you really need to take from Luther. He really thought this out first, and he, it really bothered him that he was going against the grain. It bothered him, and, and he, he didn't do that lightly. As bold and as sharp-witted and sharp-tongued as he, he could be, uh, he did not take this, take this very lightly. And, and I think it aided the success of the Reformation because um, those who were so bold and, and those who were so confident of their cause um, in the sense of... Uh, especially that they were reforming something for here and now. You look at a Thomas Mincer, even an Ulrich Zwingli or a John Kelvin who are trying to work reform here as well, um, and sometimes even more so. Um, the fact that Luther had to wrestle with this, the fact that Luther asked for a day to, to think about this, um, makes, I think, his cause even more compelling because it's not something... Um, that came easy or was rushed into, but something that came with onfectum, with much prayer and wrestling. And certainly had something to do with his proper understanding of eschatology, too, and, and not just trying to get a utopia here on here on earth. And, you know, maybe to, to wrap it up just a little bit, uh, Luther doesn't go before uh, Charles V again. Charles V is, if, I believe, going to be at Augsburg. For a while right, there, well, Luther's at the Coburg. So you know that that's going to be more developed. That's going to be more. Um, it's not just one guy. It's going to be um, a, a group of people, a group of princes, in fact, uh, leading the way, or at least the ones that are going to sign the confession in Augsburg. Um, it, it's it's something quite different, right? Um, but you can, but but Augsburg doesn't happen without firms, without Luther first doing it by himself. Um, the princes can't stand before uh, uh, Charles V and and e and even have a even have a chance at a conversation. Of course, that doesn't go up very well either. But uh, to even say, here's our articulated theology. Uh, here are, for lack of a better term, our demands when it comes to uh, you know uh, uh, this is what the Bible says, and we're not going to back down, and you, you're going to have to deal with it, kind of thing. Um, Augsburg's very important, but I think Verms really is that kind of turning point, and I think Noel's right to pick that one. So I guess, Mike, unless you have something else to say, I would say that uh, one of the big inheritances we have, the legacies from the Diet of Worms, is the precedent for uh, even when we're nervous, even when we wonder how things will work out, to uh, stand by our consciences informed by God's word and sound reason and let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I set him up another round, I set him up another round, I set him up another round, one more round won't get me down. Lush, my face began to fuss and I said